0: Have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history.
1: The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar.
2: Bum, bum, bum. Good evening. Glad you're there, folks, for The Bible Live tonight as we continue our way through. I think one of the more interesting books, it is extremely enlightening for the believers of our era, those of us who've come into the kingdom of God by understanding the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. The word Messiah just means Christ. Jesus Christ is Jesus the Messiah. It's not his name, it's his title, Christos, the Greek transliteration or translation of the Hebrew term Meshua, Yeshua HaMeshua, Jesus the Messiah. At any rate, we talk about the book of Hebrews helping us to understand that the Messiah was long, long, long predicted that this message of the gospel, that Christianity, what we've come to know as Christianity, the religious system of Christianity, has its roots way, way back in the Hebrew revelation and actually even goes back beyond the time of Abraham. There were men and women who were justified by faith and trusting in God before Abraham himself. Abraham was before the giving of the law with Moses at, at Mount Sinai. So we're being brought up to speed by the book of Hebrews about the Messiah. Now that Messiah has come, The message of freedom, of joy, of forgiveness, of cleansing, of new life, the message of hope, the message of eternal life, being reconciled to our creator, to be able to know him personally, to experience God in our lives here and walk with him in peace and joy and experience an increasing oneness with him and with his people. That is what this life on this planet Earth is all about. God drawing out a people for himself for eternity. So we'll get to that. We're going to pick up in just a moment with Hebrews chapter seven. Right now, though, the wisdom and worship segment tonight comes from Proverbs chapter 27. We're going to read the first 14 verses. These nuggets of wisdom based on a God-centered worldview. Proverbs
1: 27, 1 through 14. Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. Don't praise yourself. Let others do it. A stone is heavy, and sand is weighty, but the resentment caused by a fool is heavier than both. Anger is cruel, and wrath is like a flood, but who can survive the destructiveness of jealousy? An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Honey seems tasteless to a person who is full, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. A person who strays from home is like a bird that strays from its nest. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. Then in your time of need, you won't have to ask your relatives for assistance. It is better to go to a neighbor than to a relative who lives far away. My child, how happy I will be if you turn out to be wise. Then I will be able to answer my critics. A prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Be sure to get collateral from anyone who guarantees the debt of a stranger. Get a deposit if someone guarantees the debt of an adulterous woman. If you shout a pleasant greeting to your neighbor too early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse. End of reading Proverbs 27, 1-14. You are
0: in this
1: place, mighty
0: God You are awesome in this place. A this is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar.
2: the incomparable Savior, to see what God accomplished for us through His Son, the Messiah, who came and lived out a perfect life of faith and obedience to the Father. That is infinitely superior to religious systems, to all other revelation that went before. That is what the book of Hebrews is all about as we come to it now. Jesus does not contradict the law. He does not contradict other revelation that God has given of himself, of his purposes for our lives. But Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of each of them. There is one God, one purpose, and one plan of redemption and salvation for all of humanity. There is no other. Every man, woman, and child who appears one day, every human being that makes it to glory, that lives eternally with God the Father in heaven, we will all be there on the basis of what God accomplished through Jesus the Messiah, what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Not everyone will have known the name of Jesus before they died, before glory. Not everyone will know all the reasons they are there before they died. Even all of us who have such full revelation, even we don't understand exhaustively and completely all of God's plan, the wonders and the intricacies of it. But all of us will be there because of what God accomplished on our behalf in and through his son, Jesus, the Messiah. And that's the theme of the book of Hebrews, the superiority, the glory, the greatness of Jesus. And tonight we start off talking about Melchizedek, a priest that preceded Abraham.
1: Hebrews 7.1 through 10.31, Hebrews 7. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God Most High. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against many kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had won in the battle and gave it to Melchizedek. His name means king of justice. He is also king of peace because Salem means peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized how great Melchizedek was by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the priests, who are descendants of Levi, are commanded in the law of Moses to collect a tithe from all the people, even though they are their own relatives. But Melchizedek, who was not even related to Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to bless is always greater than the person who is blessed. In the case of Jewish priests, tithes are paid to men who will die. But Melchizedek is greater than they are, because we are told that he lives on. In addition, we might even say that Levi's descendants, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek through their ancestor Abraham. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's loins when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. And finally, if the priesthood of Levi could have achieved God's purposes, and it was that priesthood on which the law was based, why did God need to send a different priest from the line of Melchizedek instead of from the line of Levi and Aaron? And when the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the one we are talking about belongs to a different tribe, whose members do not serve at the altar. What I mean is, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned Judah in connection with the priesthood. The change in God's law is even more evident from the fact that a different priest, who is like Melchizedek, has now come. He became a priest not by meeting the old requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he said of Christ, You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And now a better hope has taken its place. And that is how we draw near to God. God took an oath that Christ would always be a priest. But he never did this for any other priest. Only to Jesus did he say, The Lord has taken an oath, and he will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of God's oath, it is Jesus who guarantees the effectiveness of this better covenant. Another difference is that there were many priests under the old system. When one priest died, another had to take his place. But Jesus remains a priest forever. His priesthood will never end. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save everyone who comes to God through him. He lives forever to plead with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need, because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has now been set apart from sinners, and he has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. He does not need to offer sacrifices every day like the other high priest's. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he sacrificed himself on the cross. Those who were high priests under the law of Moses were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made perfect forever. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Hebrews 8. Here is the main point. Our high priest sat down in the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. There he ministers in the sacred tent, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law of Moses. They serve in a place of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning, Be sure that you make everything according to the design I have shown you here on the mountain. But our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the ministry of those who serve under the old laws. For he is the one who guarantees for us a better covenant with God, based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But God himself found fault with the old one when he said, The day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, so they will understand them, and I will write them on their hearts, so they will obey them. I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their family, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will already know me, and I will forgive their wrongdoings. And I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and ready to be put aside.
0: You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar.
1: Hebrews 9. Now in that first covenant between God and Israel, there were regulations for worship and a sacred tent here on earth. There were two rooms in this tent. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and loaves of holy bread on the table. This was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing some manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves and the stone tablets of the covenant with the Ten Commandments written on them. The glorious cherubim were above the ark. Their wings were stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain all of these things now. When these things were all in place, the priests went in and out of the first room regularly as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest goes into the most holy place, and only once a year, and always with blood which he offers to God to cover his own sins and the sins the people have committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the most holy place was not open to the people as long as the first room and the entire system it represents were still in use. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and ritual washing, external regulations that are in effect only until their limitations can be corrected. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that great, perfect sanctuary in heaven, not made by human hands and not part of this created world. Once, for all time, he took blood into that most holy place, but not the blood of goats and calves, He took His own blood, and with it He secured our salvation forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ritual defilement. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our hearts from deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered Himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, so that all who are invited can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Now when someone dies and leaves a will, no one gets anything until it is proved that the person who wrote the will is dead. The will goes into effect only after the death of the person who wrote it. While the person is still alive, no one can use the will to get any of the things promised to them. That is why blood was required under the first covenant as a proof of death. For after Moses had given the people all of God's laws, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's laws and all the people, using branches of hyssop bushes and scarlet wool. Then he said, This blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way he sprinkled blood on the sacred tent, and on everything used for worship. In fact, we can say that according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified by sprinkling with blood. Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. That is why the earthly tent and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ has entered into heaven itself to appear now before God as our advocate. He did not go into the earthly place of worship, for that was merely a copy of the real temple in heaven. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the earthly high priest who enters the most holy place year after year to offer the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary... He would have had to die again and again, ever since the world began. But no, He came once for all time, at the end of the age, to remove the power of sin forever by His sacrificial death for us. And just as it is destined that each person dies only once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died only once as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, but not to deal with our sins again. This time He will bring salvation to all those who are eagerly waiting for Him. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Hebrews 10 The old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come, not the reality of the good things Christ has done for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ, when he came into the world, said, You did not want animal sacrifices and grain offerings, but you have given me a body so that I may obey you. No, you were not pleased with animals burned on the altar or with other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, just as it is written about me in the Scriptures. Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or grain offerings or animals burned on the altar or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he added, Look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to establish the second. And what God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant... The priest stands before the altar day after day, offering sacrifices that can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as one sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of highest honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled as a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he perfected forever all those whom he is making holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. First he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts so they will understand them. And I will write them on their minds so they will obey them. Then he adds, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Now when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. This is the new life-giving way that Christ has opened up for us through the sacred curtain, by means of his death for us. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's people, let us go right into the presence of God, with true hearts, fully trusting him. For our evil consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope we say we have, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of His coming back again is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received a full knowledge of the truth, there is no other sacrifice that will cover these sins. There will be nothing to look forward to but the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume His enemies. Anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Think how much more terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant as if it were common and unholy. Such people have insulted and enraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to His people. For we know the one who said, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it. He also said, The Lord will judge His own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. End of reading, Hebrews 7-1 through ten thirty one. My
0: Jesus, my Savior, Oh, there is none like you.
1: You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar.
2: The incomparable Jesus. Heard tonight from the book of Hebrews, this astounding book. Almost every verse, every chapter for sure, makes these incredible points about the superiority, the beauty, the power of what God has accomplished for humanity, for his people, through the Messiah the beauty of the revelation that God has given us of himself. Yes, it's a progressive revelation. We know more about God as God worked with men and women century after century after century as he revealed himself to those who preceded Abraham. Then we come to the time of Abraham through the time of Isaac and Jacob, the people of Israel, and then to Moses and the law throughout the years and the times of the kings and so on. But then finally, the full-blown light, the bright, brilliant light of Messiah himself broke upon us. And now the writer of the Hebrews is giving us this beautiful picture of the message, the revelation, and the work, the redemptive work that God carried out for us through Messiah. Everything points to the beauty and the superiority of Jesus. The prophets, the priests, the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, the Melchizedekian priesthood, the law itself pointed toward him as a tutor to bring us to see our need of a Savior. Mm -hmm. The kings were all just figures of the righteous king who would come. That righteous branch who would come and fulfill all the aspirations of a holy, good, righteous, and just king. Everything points to the beauty and the superiority of Jesus. We are so prone as believers. And it's what happened to Israel. We try to put God in the box, try to reduce Him to understandable, measurable terms that we can express, and that we know it and we've got it. We just can't do that. He's wonderful, he's approachable, he's intimate with us, he loves us, but like c s Lewis constantly reminds the children in Narnia, he's not a tame lion. He's beyond yeah. definitions, all of our religious categories. We need to learn to appreciate and love and admire and experience him as the true and living God above all other gods, above all of our understanding. His ways so far beyond ours. <laughs> I'm not sure if the smartest people on planet Earth aren't truck drivers. I've talked to so many of them as they listen to the Bible live, as they make their nightly deliveries across the state of Texas and across the nation from time to time. They do have some great wisdom, as Jim shared tonight. What he emphasized to me, and I echo it wholeheartedly, we need to be very careful as modern 21st century Christians that we don't somehow try to get God in a box. Jesus, all labeled and all clearly defined, He is the Messiah. He is superior to all earthly people, all earthly positions and titles, all systems, and that includes religious systems, all organizations, all ritual and all traditions. Jesus is superior. It's with Him that we have to deal, not with earthly systems. The See you Bible next time. Live
0: with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live, Post Office Box eighteen eight eighty eight. That's the Bible Live. P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar.